Here's a tribute to Nicholas Courtney from our friend James that accidentally fell down the back of the sofa when we were editing the last podcast. I've always regarded those early John Pertwee years as being one of the very high points of classic Doctor Who. I've never been a huge autograph seeker either, but one of those I did get in line for was for Nicholas Courtney. There was a few of us at the event, all in our unit uniforms, and we all entered the autograph room en masse. Fraser Hind was near the entrance and did a marvellous double take when he saw us and just said, He's over there, pointed towards a table at the other end of the room. Nick was sitting next to Colin Baker, who then looked up, he saw us all, and just said, You're not here to see me, are you? We then proceeded to have a great little chat with him before Nick was free. Nick was always so friendly and so accommodating. There are some guests who get conventions and some who don't, but Nick so, so did, and you could tell he did. As Colin Baker wrote, there have been 11 doctors, but only one brigadier. Cheers, Nick. Here on Westminster Bridge and there are dinosaurs What the fudge man, dinosaurs on Westminster Bridge Dirty Hooers. Cross-Atlantic nitpicking about Doctor Who. From four grown adults who should probably know better. From four grown adults who should probably be working. We're not afraid to say it like it is. All the word bollocks. www.dirtywhoers.com Follow us on Twitter at Dirty Hooers. If you like that kind of thing. Also on Facebook. Deal with it. Geronimo! Fantastic. LRC. Cock. With your hosts. Number one assistant. Terry Lightfoot. Oolong Stutters Stutner. Resident Pixie. Fuchsia Begonia. Lord President Sen. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Dirty Hose Doctor Who podcast. We are going to be reviewing Invasion of the Dinosaurs, starring the one, the only, third Doctor, John Pertwee. Woohoo! Thank you. Elizabeth Sladen, <laughs> uh, Sarah Jane Smith with Nicholas Courtney as Brigadier, Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart, Mike Yates, Sergeant Benton, and others. The Ooh, almost classic full unit squad. Written by Malcolm Hulk, directed by the one, the only, the awesome Paddy Russell, with script help from Robert Holmes and Terence Dix. Produced by the one and only Barry Letts. It appeared in six episodes way back in January and February 1974. I remember it being on telly, actually. I remember being quite impressed with the monsters. <laughs> Yeah. I was yeah, very young I, at the time. I, I didn't have a problem with those dinosaurs at the Did, time. How old were you? You were like third, fourth grade-ish or something? I was seven or eight. Okay. So they didn't start science class until at least ten when you were growing up then, if you liked those monsters. I was a kid, mate. Oh, Kids like monsters. This was the best we yeah. ever had. Anyway, let's get a rating, shall we? And then we can start talking about this, because despite everything, it's still John Pertwee, and therefore it's still motherfucking awesome. So even though I do believe this is the second worst John Pertwee episode, I am still prepared to give it ten and a big 14-inch rubber floppy dong. <laughs> Appropriately. 
that might not be a tip. Next. No, that's not a tip. That's the whole thing. I'm actually going to be quite generous. I mean, there are some serious problems with it, but it's still a huge amount of fun. So 20, but they are going to have to get the cab fare to and from. I'd give it a 22. I mean, a 20 as well. <laughs> well okay. rescued there. Send Monday. Five. Oh, you fuck. <laughs> yeah. I had to think about that. Why? You can go first then. Why a five? Can I just Since remind I'm you sure it's John Pertwee, yeah? I'm you know it's John oh aware of God, it. Yep. Yes, and you know that John Stop Pertwee asking. is also my favorite for the same reasons he is for you. We bitch and moan about the new series trashing Doctor Who being an educational program for the family. Mm-hmm. Especially when RTD has tried to do anything historical, and Muffet's been equally guilty of this. We've trashed him. So in all fairness, this is an absolute piece of shit in every way, scientific and historical. What, you're telling me there wasn't a plasticine era? <laughs> it's not even plasticine. It's injection of foam, isn't it? Uh, they knew what they were capable of in 1974. They knew this was going to look like shit, and it did. You're kidding. And it they... did not look like shit in 1974. It looked awesome in 1974. It it's got pretty... blue screen in it, for God's sake. Do you know how cool that was? Yeah, actually, the standard of the CSO isn't bad. It's just the dinosaurs. I grew Here's up watching the... Star Trek, and they have better special effects than this episode, <laughs> and I had no problem with Here's... it. Here's the thing. There's a lot about dinosaurs that we've discovered since 1974. The fact that the stance and the movement of the T-Rex was completely wrong. We didn't know any better back then. But But now we've seen Jurassic Park and we know. But we did know how tall they were because we had the skeletons. And last time I checked, a Tyrannosaurus couldn't look through the fourth story window of a building. It was scientific shit. And talk about not doing your research. I'm sorry. Pick up a science textbook that your eight-year-old kid brought home when you get home from the writer's room and just read about them because it was utter crap. The science was terrible. I mean, yeah. Let's talk about Uh, realistic science in Doctor Who, are we? I mean, okay, (laughs) fair enough. They're not going to be immune to unit guns, for example. There's going to be things like that. But come on, dinosaurs. If you want to do a monster episode, have them be alien monsters that can't be harmed by guns. But when you present something as scientifically documented as not just any dinosaurs, these dinosaurs, three of the most studied, popular species of dinosaurs that humans have ever researched, we know a shitload about them. And this flies in the face of what the scientific community knows. It's just crap. You see, I don't think it was actually based on scientific reality. I think it was based on the advert for Chew It. (laughs) (laughs) They were trying to remodel Barrowin Furness bus station. We took the muncher to some of the best places to eat in the world. He ate the Taj Mahal. Yeah. The Leaning Tower of Pisa. The Empire State Building. But not one of these buildings could match the delicious, chewy flavors of Chewits. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Chewits are even chewier than Barrow in Furness Bus Depot. It's way before that, though, when you think this is 20 years before Jurassic Park, something like that. Come on. Mm -hmm. I know that they couldn't make the move realistically because the special effects restricted it. But there's so much crap about it. And I love the character interaction. I love the long-term 
evolution of Mike Yates' character. I loved all that stuff, but I just can't get past it. I don't mind the things that they didn't know back then. I don't mind the fact that the special effects hadn't evolved to the point where they could put Jurassic Park on a weekly TV show. But it's the stuff that they did know that they just flew in the face of because they wanted big, gigantic, building-sized monsters that were immune to guns that roared. But that's not what the dinosaurs were. As for you, Ulan, saying that you were a kid and you not noticing, I'm reading the Wikipedia article on the episode, and there was a major media backlash against the episode because of those reasons in 1974, including kids who wrote into the BBC saying that the Tyrannosaurus was inaccurate. This is Ulan we're talking about, okay? Uh, yeah, I didn't give a fuck back then. I'm sorry. I was hiding no, the carpet I, this one, mate. It was great. I was a dinosaur freak when I was a kid. I wanted to be a paleontologist up until... I was about 34. <laughs> yeah, up until I watched this episode last week, then decided I didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> you do know that man did not crawl out of the primordial ooze, that the trigger for life wasn't actually a Jagaroff spaceship exploding. You do, you do know that, don't you? Sun's got a point, you know. Okay. Says the science teacher. Okay. It's not a when, fun point. When we don't know, science fiction can make up shit. When we do know, it stops being science fiction, and it just becomes sloppy writing. This is the same thing we criticize the new series for. Just because our favorite doctor is at the helm, we cannot excuse this era from the same thing we bitch about with RTD and Muffet. Personally, I can because I excused it at the time. I excused Diana Rigg and her fake karate. I love that shit. So <laughs> Why was that in Doctor Who? And I did all kinds of martial arts when I was a teen and a young adult, and I had no problem with that crap. And I have no problem with the obviously fake goofy dinosaurs. It's a fun episode. Yeah, when you went to the museum at that time, literally Liverpool Museum had airfix kits stuck into backgrounds of dinosaurs. That was the best look we got at dinosaurs. This, no problem at the time. Now, it's a fucking travesty. <laughs> it's then... also a bloody stupid plot, which is the main thing I have issues with. Mm-hmm. It is such a stupid plot. This script was an utter and complete piece of drivel, made watchable by one of the best casts in science fiction or television history. Yeah. but barely made watchable. If anyone else had acted this script, I would have threatened to go step into traffic before I watched it. <laughs> but it's still shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's look at something like Green Death, which was an eco-issue, right? This is taking the opposite side of the coin to that eco-issue. No, it's, it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> Have you watched both of them, for God's sake? Yes. Have you not listened to the last five minutes where they're doing the, oh, it's not too late to save the Earth, you naughty, naughty people? Yes, and what I'm saying is that the people who are the protagonists in this are the ecologists. Yeah, and in Green Death, it was the other way around. Yeah, but it's still the same tub-thumping message. I'm not denying the message. I'm talking about the narrative. It's the other side of the coin. It's taking something that they've already done and putting a twist on it. I don't like the inside of the spaceship stuff. It doesn't scan. It doesn't carry. And the monsters, yeah, they're dreadful now. But as I say, I remember seen this as a child and excusing a law it is at least three possibly four episodes too long there's some marvelous yeah. running around where the doctor carries bags of diamonds and wonders why he gets arrested could you not just flash a unit past doc come on we know it's in your yeah. pocket yeah 
But why no. did he pick that bag up in the first place without even looking? And in the fact, it actually makes comedy chinking noises when he puts it down anywhere. Does it never dawn on him to actually open it and see what was in there? Well, he knew what was in there. It was stolen stuff. That's why he was carrying it around. Yeah. It's just the doctors, oh, well, I'll give this to somebody when I run across somebody and I'll keep it safe for a while. I get the kind of doctor not using his brain on that sort of thing, but oh, please. There's lots of big holes in this, but it's still lovely and heartwarming and makes you feel like a kid. There's a massive suspension of disbelief in this for me. And to be honest, most of the dinosaurs actually aren't that bad. It's only the T-Rex, which looks a bit <laughs> a bit rubbery and thalidomide. It's a bit sort of... And the pterodactyl. pterodactyl. Oh, the pterodactyl is awful. But isn't John Pertwee yeah. awesome? He looks that, really old in this one, actually. In that actual scene with the pterodactyl, he's basically Bruce Campbell fighting with his own hand, isn't he? No. That awesome suspension of, of oh, fighting he, with a wooden clack, clack, clack puppet and making a real good show of it. And nobody does that like Pertwee, I don't think. I mean, he can quite happily wrap himself in a telephone cord, strangle himself to death. Like, oh, gun <laughs> marvellously. No. He's brilliant he's at it. Not, mm, no, you're just going to use the yeah. word gurn over and over again like every time we see Tennant, and I'm what? not buying it. I'm sorry. This is John Pertwee. He's a televisual <laughs> classic, an and God. For that thing with the pterodactyl, I swear to God. Come on. Considering his place in television history, I do think he deserves something posthumously. Probably a knighthood, actually, considering the Navy Lark and, and other programs that he did mm. while we're on the subject. I can't believe Brian Blessed's not got one either. Speaking of which... Brian Blessed iPhone app comes out this week. If anybody's interested, Terry's done all the artwork. I went down there and had the pleasure of directing Brian and Shakespeare in his shed. If you search for Brian Blessed Alarm Clock on iTunes, that's a real shameless plug, actually, isn't it? But go, go play with it, because there's nothing like being woken up by Brian Blessed. It's truly fucking disturbing. You feel like you have to get out of bed when you're laying England down. Wake I thought this was a fun episode. I mean, I never looked at it so scientifically or anything. I mean, it was obviously wrong, but that didn't stop me from enjoying it. <laughs> the part in the garage with the pterodactyl, now when I watch it, it's just classic. I, I love that scene. It's one of my except favorites we, now. Except we had pterodactyls. Oh, please, stop with that stuff. It doesn't matter. I like Sarah Jane in it, and she gets to move the plot along and be a plucky journalist instead of a useless, boring companion. Since when does it not matter to just sit down and do 10 minutes worth of damn research before you write a script? How does that not matter? How are you doing your job well when you write crap that's not true? Which bit of the script is a problem? The model making is a problem. The script specify that a pterodactyl would be inside that building when it wouldn't even fit through the fucking door. Okay, yeah, it's well, too that's... small. It's way too small. It's <laughs> clutching Senate it's best. Come on. Story. This is a model making thing. You know, you know what it's we are the resources they had in nineteen seventy four. Presenters have a point that we won't excuse that kind of thing on the new show. People have research material immediately available to them nowadays. Then you couldn't just look it up on the internet, you know. No, but you could have walked around the corner to the Natural History Museum. (laughs) If you lived around the corner from the Natural History Museum, yes, I suppose you could. Or a library. Or you could could have the limitations of model craft at the time and a pathetic budget and done the absolute best that you could. And I believe that's what they did. I believe, as with all the BBC stuff, at that time, it was old boy network. You make the absolute best of things, carry on, soldier on, and produce something at the end of it that's good family entertainment. Sure, it might have holes in it, and people can pick holes.
holes in it 20, 30 years on. But on the whole, still good entertainment. It still gets a 10 from me, and I very nearly gave it a 20. Are we open this point yet? I actually enjoyed the story, and I forgave that crap. Because it is crap. You've got a point. All those things are wrong, but I found it entertaining nonetheless. They got the guy who played Niter, my favorite oh, villain. Yeah. He's always so creepy, and he's great. The other one's from Vengeance on Varos, isn't he? What, Martin Jarvis? That's the one. No, no, it's from the, the, the guy from Wang Chiang. He played the, the Chinese Oh, guy. I think he been it, yes. He's got a weird face. Oh, yes, Colonel Finch. Caucasian. Yeah. If I was going to take a Caucasian guy and make him into a Chinese dude, it wouldn't <laughs> be that dude, you know? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought Sarah Jane was great in this story. She's really fun, and I could have slapped her silly when she was photographing the Tyrannosaurus Rex. She actually mentions it in School Reunion. Yeah, she does. No, I can understand why she was photographing the dinosaur. She'd need proof. She was an idiot when she left the camera on the floor when she ran away. Well, I, oh, God, yeah. It's like, what? What? Just grab it and go. What the fuck? And particularly, oh. she had to specifically crouch down to put it on the floor to then yeah. run away when she had it in her hand. <laughs> exactly. I saw her doing that, and I was just like, oh, come <laughs> It's kind of weird in this episode, so I never liked Mike Yates. No. And then somehow, towards the end of this episode, I ended up kind of feeling sorry for him. I don't I'm sort of thinking, you guys don't like him. You guys like Sergeant Benton, and you don't like Captain Yates. I right. always like Captain Yates, and I like Yates. Benton, yeah. yeah. I um, like them both. I like the whole crew. Benton was there first, yeah. and sort of Yates was always a bit of an authority figure, and used to like nick his sandwiches and send him off to do things so he could flirt with Joe. Do you know what I mean? Mm, see, I didn't see that aspect of it. I just thought he's pretty cute. <laughs> I always liked that interaction. Benton came across as the lower class enlisted man, and, mm. and Yates is the prim and proper officer. And yet, mm. Yates is sort of shit. And yeah. Benton really yeah. is better at his job. And He's I think Yates knows it. For me, as a little kid, it was really a fascinating insight into the British caste system. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> that's the part of it as well. That deep down inside, you know that he's a bit of a public school raw. Mm. And mm. that Benton's a lot more down to earth and a bit more like their dad. Well, you know that Yates got the job purely because of which school he went to rather than because he was any good at it. Mm, see, I, I just didn't read that much into it. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, in the 70s, we had class, you had race, big difference. Yeah. yeah. I think what happened to Yates is a perfect example of great character development because he mm. wasn't really prepared to deal with this stuff, and he ended up crumbling. He had a nervous breakdown. He became a traitor. He just couldn't handle it, whereas Benton and the Brig were just, oh, yeah, more Whatever. aliens, great. That's the bit that I really take great exception to, is it just never felt right. It felt, oh, we need to have a traitor, and for it to have any meaning, it has to be one of the main characters. Yeah, we'll just pick mm. Yates because it can't really have it as Benton or the Brig. It just never felt properly realised or that it had been something that they'd taken a great deal of care or attention over. Hmm. I mean, they hadn't worked up to it in another episode mm. or something. They did, though. Yeah. Green Death hit him pretty hard. We get the payoff of it as well, don't we? You know, with the old spiders, etc. And that's really nice. Funny how we carry our perception of it, isn't it? That I seem to be okay with this because I was okay with it as a kid. And I'm carrying all the nostalgia and all the memories along with it instead of yeah. forging new ones. I don't know. Yeah, because I've never yeah. actually seen this at all. This is the first time I've oh, seen it. really? See? Yeah. Oh. Uh, You're so lucky because of all that. <laughs> you really are. Seeing you, Doctor Who must be awesome. Yeah, it's quite cool, actually. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I did 
didn't have such a big problem with it, but now it just makes me laugh. As much of a dick as I seem about it, I'm a lot more forgiving now. Some of the stuff that Ulan brought up about model making and budget, I'll at least take that into consideration now. When I was a little kid, I'd sit there and point at the screen and go, that's wrong. (laughs) And that's all I cared about. And I loathed this episode when I was a kid. I actually like it much more now because of the character and I understand the budget and stuff. I still think it's crap, but it doesn't upset me nearly as much as it did back then. I remember something that did upset me about this when I was a kid, actually. I never liked the Hoomobile. Why did the Hoomobile appear when he could have been in Bessie? And I actually vaguely remember being upset about that. That's where my priorities lie, obviously. I'm totally with you on that one. Bessie, seriously, you traitor. He just walked away from one of his companions. Yeah. But this video is pretty cool. Well, it's not the first time and it won't be the last. Um, (laughs) But I could see Russell T. Davies writing this kind of story where nothing makes sense. And I would totally ream him. I would say, this is shit, blah, blah, blah. But I expect more nowadays. I don't expect that much from a 70s show. Why? I'm much more forgiving of the those kind of details. I just enjoy the stories and the acting and the imagination. I don't know. It just takes me away. Come on. Good stories are good stories and have been for centuries longer. Good writing, good, well-researched, well-thought-out characters and plots that work within the universe as we know it, which, of Mm -hmm. course, changes over time. We could nitpick it at H.G. Wells, but he really did do the research based on what he knew at the time. Mm -hmm. That's as much as the scientific community knew. And that's not what the scientific community knew in the 70s, and that's why it upsets me. Good writing is good writing, period. Always has been. I mean, Mm -hmm. geez, look at some of the old Hollywood stuff in the 20s and 30s. A lot of it was shit, and some of it was just flat out amazing. I guess it's just dinosaurs being brought back through time. Why? Yeah, I mean, you know, really? it's, just, it's just so complicated and so unnecessarily complicated. It's so fun. I just mm. love that. Same story, Doctor Who and the Pescatons, things like that. Just brilliant. Great. I just noticed actually, looking at my novel, it's got the Chris Achilles artwork on the front and the pterodactyls actually saying clack on the cover. It's actually going clack. <laughs> I've seen that cover. I know. I'm pretty sure that was just the wooden puppet that went clack. And... <laughs> I'm looking at the cover now. The dinosaur's got those really fucking big nostrils. Well, what is with its nostrils? Big fucking nostrils. It could breathe in a car. Hello, we are here at Hooray's first birthday party in Stockton with the lovely Graham Harper, Uber director extraordinaire. Uber. Uber. <laughs> and thoroughly all-round nice chap. So, Mr. You have Harper. to ask my wife that. <laughs> she might have a say about that. <laughs> You've just brought out a book talking about your experiences with the new Doctor Who series. How different was that from your experiences with the original series, which you also directed many episodes for? It's totally different because the effects that we could do in the 80s, what we could afford to do, were quite difficult because although there was the ability to do some clever stuff, it was the time it took and the money. And Doctor Who didn't have the money to be able to pay for that kind of technology. Whereas now, it costs a lot less. Therefore, the money that was thrown at Doctor Who currently just went further. And the mill, who are just superb at doing all the kind of effects that Doctor Who demands now, can do it quite economically and, and also quite fast. 
so we have much better chances to do something really magical and actually do it properly and actually have it on the screen looking brilliant and what was clever with Russell T Davis was he would demand from all the writers including himself that they wrote everything they dreamed of and then unfortunately that would all then get cut down to what we could afford to do but then money was thrown properly at it so it could be made to look really brilliant so we had less but it looked great rather than lots and lots of effects that weren't quite the the magic that we dreamed of and were you really pleased to be asked to come back oh I was absolutely thrilled and shocked. When I heard that Doctor Who was coming back, I wrote to Russell T Davis, who I knew from 20 years before, having worked with him on another series, when he was a junior writer, and I was not really grown-up director, but I was in charge of a large magazine programme for young people on a Saturday morning, a comedy programme, and he was writing inserts to go into that programme. Really great comedy. But I wrote to him and said, do you remember me? And I'd love, I'd give my left and right arm to come back and have one go, and if you don't like it, then you can always, you can sack me. I was committed during that year to another project up here in Yorkshire and I believe from my agent that there was an approach to see if I was available but nothing happened because I was busy and couldn't commit myself to anything but then while I was finishing that programme I was working on I got an invite to have dinner with both Russell T Davis and Phil Collinson who were the producers and during that lunch they offered me to come back and I couldn't believe it I thought it was lovely to get a meeting but I thought they'd meet me and think oh he's an old git I don't think we should bother with him but they didn't they said we'd like you to come back and do a block we'll get back in touch and let you know what it's about what happened was i didn't get one block a block is a story which was two episodes in this case i got four i got two blocks which were four episodes two stories all involving cybermen and then cybermen and daleks i mean what could a poor boy expect other than that it was brilliant it was just such a shock to get that brilliant um, combination two most iconic doctor who monsters i think there must have been a lot of people really jealous and why graham harper but i got it so hey that was the end of that i mean to be fair if you go back and you look at caves of andrazan of all the classics it's the most like the modern in terms of pacing shooting story development cramming an awful lot into a very limited amount of time do you know after I made it and in the 90s I was invited by the BBC worldwide to come and make a film a DVD to be sold to celebrate the 30th anniversary called The Dark Dimensions now that actually hit the deck really and that died unfortunately and didn't get made and another project was made three or four years later but nothing to do with me I wasn't involved in that at all when I look back at Caves of Androzani until recently I always thought it was quite creaky and a bit slow and a bit archaic so I was surprised that on the back of that I got the chance to come back 20 years later to do the new series but I looked at the Caves of Androzani when it was brought out again because it was voted one of the top stories ever told as it were which I found shocking and I was really surprised I was wrong it was actually quite pacing and energetic and as you say was quite modern but I didn't remember it like that mm-hmm. so frivolous questions favourite tipple I have two favourite tipples one is I love my Margaritas with a vengeance, really good strong margaritas. Lots of salt sometimes, but lots of sugar on top of the glass. Oh, I love it. And the other is whiskey, and a good smoked whiskey is my favourite mm, from choice. the Highlands. And if you could be cake or biscuit, what cake or biscuit would you be? Uh, uh, <laughs> Milfoy, which is a cream slice. Mm. Lovely cream slice, particularly French. They use a, a kind of confectioner's custard mm. that I really love. I did think it was very enjoyable. Yeah, there are serious, serious problems with it. But it's just so much fun, precisely because you have the unit crew there. Nick Courtney is on absolutely sparkling form, sitting there looking terribly smug. Liz Sladen is absolutely superb as Sarah Jane in this one. She goes out, she does things. She's not prepared to just sit around and make the tea. The interesting thing is that the dynamic between Sarah Jane and the Doctor just doesn't work as well. It doesn't gel. And it's such a massive 
shift from the relationship you had with Joe. The fact that you had this little girl who really didn't know anything and needed protecting and needed things explaining to her and that the Pertwee doctor fitted very well with that. And then you get this bright, intelligent, very determined young woman and he just doesn't know what to do with her. Oh, I thought they were really cute when they got arrested and they were taking the mug shot. That was really cute. You know, we've seen this before and after. A companion come in towards the end of a doctor's run that just didn't seem to work with that doctor. And then mm. when the next doctor came along, mm-hmm. it almost makes you wonder if they didn't know. And they were building the character around an as-yet-uncast doctor. And then Tom Baker walks in and him and Sarah Jane just instantly gelled. Mm-hmm. And it was a work of art from the yeah. moment he regenerated. I think their acting right. styles complemented each other a lot, though. And I think yeah. Pertwee and Joe complemented each other really well. They were a lot yeah. more casual. They loved the bones of each other, you could tell. After she left, I do think it kind of left him a bit hollow, but Tom Baker was an utter perfectionist and a bit of an arse because of it, as we all know in later on. Liz Sladen, very, very professional actress. I can really see how they got on together, and I can really see why he didn't get on that well with Louise Jameson afterwards, because she didn't really come across as that polished an actress, whereas Liz always was. My name is Graham Harper, and I'm a Dirty Hooer director, and I direct Dirty Who's. I mean, the other thing as well is that why spend all that time and energy to take the entire Earth back when you could have just taken that little wee bubble back? Surely that would have been easier. (laughs) You got a point there. The whole spaceship thing, that was really silly. Plus the fact, what were they going to say to the actual ship people when they got there and discovered that the other three ships had been presumably destroyed in transit or in landing because there didn't appear to be another three little rooms under there with equally gullible pillocks in it? I could be wrong, but I think they were actually going to up and they got there. I think they mentioned something, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I always got that impression. Anyway. Yeah, because I was going to say, how about this old science teacher? You walk out and go, wow, look, it's the moon. It's the Big Dipper. Yeah, Wait, exactly. Were they not going Earth? to notice that the constellations were exactly <laughs> yeah. the same, yeah. just slightly shifted in the sky? Yeah, it was just unnecessarily <laughs> complex just because they wanted to play with dinosaurs. But it was still a <laughs> huge mattered. amount of fun. Dinosaurs are popular for kids, and it was more a kid show then than even it is now. And that's why I gave it a 20, because it is as daft as anything and just utterly (laughs) over the top in terms of unnecessariness the cast they do work very well together it's just a very different dynamic between the doctor and sarah jane and it's a noticeably different dynamic she's so cute in this yeah when they're in the office and the wang chiang dude is trying to get rid of her she's but i'm working with the doctor now and he looks at her and goes yeah yeah that's right she's my assistant that's the ticket and she just looks at him (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) do love the fact that she's instantly got sergeant benton wrapped round a little finger though (laughs) just go and tell them i've gone off to play oh i'm not no, just do it. There's a good boy. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. I'll do it. Oh, yeah. Benton <laughs> really shines in this okay, in a couple of places. Lady. He does loads of, yeah, Doctor, you better do some of your karate on me and, and run away, hadn't you? Go on, mm. get it over with. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he trusts I the Doctor. And so does the Brig. The Brig never oh. says, let him karate chop you to the ground and run away so that he could do the right thing. He never actually says that, but he pretty much says that to Benton, doesn't he? I was just going to say, Ulan, how about taking a look at Doctor Who and the Silurians and look at the mm. evolution of the relationship yes. between the Brigadier and this episode, where the Brigadier does everything shy of flipping double birds at a general because the Doctor has a theory. He just trusts him implicitly. I love it. I love that evolution of character. Hmm. Yeah, because in the Silurians, they're at each other's throats, aren't they? Yes. Another big eco episode. Of when the Brig walks into the TARDIS for the first 
first time is it in the three doctors and, and it suddenly dawns on him that maybe the doctor really is what he says aren't so this is what you've been doing with unit fun <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. yeah yeah so before we go on we should just say that there's probably going to be some spoilers in this episode yes you might want to watch it before you listen to the podcast a bit Probably late too late now. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know by now dear viewer if you don't know by now as we said before can you really spoil a 40 year old program it's yeah you could get David Tennant <laughs> this podcast we never give a shit about spoilers you know yeah what the hell <laughs> when did we start caring okay, we okay, oh did, don't did, tell me we've did, gone did, through did, to the inferno did, universe did, I'm not running across countries you know sod that <laughs> Hello, I am Brian Blessed, and you're listening to the Dirty Whores Podcast. Favourite lines, come on, we know we need to do it. I still have one, it's to do with the fight scene that we were just talking about, and it's the, well, don't just stand there, Sergeant Benson, go and put yourself under arrest. (laughs) Good, yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head. I didn't even bother watching it this time around because I've seen it so many times. It's by no means my favourite poetry, but it's still a great. You said second worst. What's the worst? Uh, Ambassadors of Death. Really? Fucking dreadful. Wait, remind me what happens in that one. There's some paint and it takes about six episodes for it to dry. Oh, that one. Sorry, I was thinking of the one with the Chinese delegates. No, no, no. Astronauts. Yeah, that one is a bit pants. Oh, yeah. They sort of run to a road and then run back. And then run back to the road again. Yeah. It's almost as bad as Inferno for the running about pointlessly. They set somebody on fire, and then they don't, and then they do. And then, oh, it's fucking, yeah. it's dreadful. Yeah, you're right. That was really a piece of crap. Yeah, it's a one-episode thing stretched out to six. And, you know, this one, they could have done it in two episodes, easily. But it was nice to see Martin Jarvis out of his bumblebee suit. He's one of the bumblebees in the web planet. Oh, Nice. I did not know that. That's really geeky, Fuchsia. I know. Yeah. Sorry. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> <And> geek boys. <laughs> so, one last thing to do. Obviously, we have to roll the wheel of who again. So, are we ready to roll the wheel of who? Please be good. Please yes. Be good. Time oh, hey, it's better oh, again, again, again. Garlic. Oh, there you go. That's uh, what's it? What's his name with the, with the coat? Eccleston. Eccleston. About time we did an Eccleston. We haven't done an Eccleston ever. Yeah, I haven't seen it for a very long time. So, next one is Dalek, ladies and gentlemen. We have been, and we still are, the Dirty Hearst Doctor Who podcast. Thanks very much to everyone who's been posting on the Facebook page and talking to us over Twitter. And we are now on, what are we on now? We're on Google Plus, aren't we? Fucks. Are we? Oh, dear Lord. I know. Yeah. Nobody else is on Google Plus, but we are. And I love Google Plus. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're on Google Plus now as well. If you do such things, ooh, you social media divas you talk to you soon ladies and gentlemen everybody say goodbye nice and polite now bye bye there you go you've been listening to the dirty whores doctor who podcast follow us on itunes or at dirtywhores.com find us on twitter at dirty whores oh yeah we're also on facebook see you next time
let me see if I understand this. Someone got snarky on Twitter. Good grief. Wow. What a revelation. 